0: This is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney, with me is Sam Lee. Hi. And Jack Pitbrook. Hi Dave. And the football season might be on hold, but The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers in the business, and they're still hard at work telling unique and engaging and informative stories. Guys, give us a bit of a flavour of what you've been working on. Sam, what have you got in the pipeline?
1: Uh, I'm doing a big thing about Cheeky bagheera styling. I can't remember
0: if I mentioned that last week. Um, but yeah, basically
1: how he works, what his story is, um, what he's like as a person, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's going pretty well. I'm almost at the stage of putting pen to paper. <laughs>
2: and Jack, what about yourself? Uh, I've mainly just been watching Keeping Up With The Kardashians. <laughs> is that for a piece? or? Uh, it might be, yeah. Let's see. They're quite hard to get hold of.
0: I, I can imagine. I can't wait to see what uh, what, it, what it spawns, though, in that in that case. Um, the Athletic can keep you connected to Manchester City as well, so sign up now for a 90-day free trial to see for yourself. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod for a 90-day free trial. Now, a lot of the questions in your mailbox this week, Sam, seem to centre around City and the Champions League. What's likely to happen with Cass, what the outcomes could be too with the players, that sort of thing. But there was one interesting angle that, I, uh, that, that I'd not thought of that centred around City's obvious quality on the pitch, and yet their inability, to convert it into Champions League success Um, I'll read it out it came from Callum J who asked uh, why do you think that the core players Aguero, Silva Yaya etc have been quite underwhelming in the Champions League I can't seem to find a single standout performance from the three of them apart from Aguero's hat-trick against Bayern so I, I suppose Sam it's an interesting point why have City never really cracked the Champions League despite the quality that they've got
1: well, I suppose collectively and individually, it's it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? But oh, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting question. Um, I did reply to everyone, but yeah, I wasn't allowed to file a seven thousand five hundred word article, so <laughs> I was told to come up well, come up with a list of like the the best, best, most interesting questions. And, and yeah, obviously, I left this one in it because I thought it is really interesting and annoyingly, especially for a podcast, it's a good debate, but I don't know if we're ever going to reach a conclusion on why. I always like to be able to say, oh, yeah, it's because of this or, you know, this is what the players think or whatever. I I don't know, but there's loads of different things we can discuss. And basically what I did in the answer was play devil's advocate a bit. Um, In your question about why City haven't done it in the Champions League, I suppose the first topic to look at is, you know, for the first few years and not getting out of the group stage and ties into everything that Guardiola says about, um, you know, the stature of the club and history and the weight of the shirt and all that kind of thing a kind of a, just a general lack of experience in the Champions League over the first few years and and maybe that's one of the reasons that nobody performed to their best but I I think I saw you make the point on Twitter or certainly to me privately I can't remember now my brain is mad. <laughs> um that you know other clubs come into the Champions League and you know their lack of history in the competition like Atalanta this year it doesn't necessarily impede them so uh, what does everyone think about that in terms of you know lack of top level experience in the competition because it, doesn't, it can't be that, I don't think.
0: Well, I was going to say, Jack, it, it, I, again, like Monaco, Atalanta, these are teams that have that have come into the competition and taken it by storm. So with City's quality, why couldn't they
2: do that? Under, I mean, they, they took the Premier League by storm under Mancini. Well, I guess just because teams have succeeded without experience doesn't mean that experience doesn't help. I do think, maybe not so much now, but certainly in the early days, you know, the Mancini and probably Pellegrini days, City did lack that experience I think that's totally I don't think that's like excuse making to say that I guess the main thing I come back to is winning the Champions League is really hard like it's so hard to win the Champions League it is not only is it difficult because you're playing against all the best teams in Europe but it's also incredibly random. Like, there is so much randomness involved in winning the Champions League. Like, that's a function of the away goals rule, the tight margins between teams, the way that it often comes back to one mistake or a penalty or a decision or whatever. And, like, you know, City don't, even though City, I think, have been more or less the best team in Europe for the last three or four, three years, probably minus this year, of course, because Liverpool are better. You know, that in itself doesn't give you the right to win the Champions League. I think Pep saw that with Bayern as well, where his Bayern team were probably the best team over his spell there, with the possible exception of the MSN Barca team, and they didn't even get to a final. Like you can't you know, it's not like it's not like the, it's not like a league competition where performance and results are perfectly correlated. Like performances and outcomes are not perfectly correlated to the Champions League. And that's why it's so fun. But it's also why I find it a bit I don't know I think we can sometimes get a little bit wrapped up in you know this player or this team must win the Champions League like it's hard it's really really hard.
1: So Callum asked the question you know in terms of these three individuals Silva, Aguero and Torrey not putting in a standout performance apart from the, the Bayern hat-trick from Aguero I as you, you know season City fans the pair of you are we agreeing actually first that that is true? because it does seem it does seem to be true I suppose the follow-on is what do we define as a standout moment but I think
0: but well, the the only one that I can think of that 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 would kind of come up to that that level is Joe Hart a couple of times. But again, yeah. you, you're asking your goalkeeper to be yeah. You're asking if you're asking your goalkeeper to be on that sort of level, then you've obviously got problems in front of him. I mean, I think of that Barcelona game where he was absolutely incredible in the new Camp, or or the Dortmund home game oh, where yeah. where they just couldn't seem to get anything past him. But but for that one effort, I think from Marco Royce. So I I mean. Other than that, I don't. I, again, I can't think of a standout kind of Yaya Toure performance in the Champions League or, or, or something like that. I don't know about Jack.
2: Yeah, I always thought Yaya Toure, we really didn't see the best of him at all in the Champions League for City. Um, I just think that his, you know, his, what made him so powerful in the Premier League was that mix of, of physical power and technical skill. And in Europe, you know, maybe it's a slower game, maybe his defence is slightly more organised. It just didn't really seem to work for him at all. Uh, David Silver, I don't know like I'm kind of racking my brains thinking of thinking of an amazing David Silver performance in the Champions League and he, there were definitely That's some good moments kind of like what we said last week though wasn't it like it's yeah, hard to think I of, know yeah it, it, it is hard it is hard but at least in the Premier League I can think of games where I thought David Silver played brilliantly whereas in the Champions League I don't know maybe I just haven't nothing springs to mind at the moment is there anything Sam? What about no, maybe a 2016 run under Pellegrini to the semis?
1: i'm trying to think because i was at all the games but the psg away game was kind of chaotic as well and not a kind of david silver game maybe that's part of it as well because the champions league the games we remember about the champions league normally in the the semi-finals they're just they're just so dramatic aren't they and that's not a david silver kind of game you know that's not the kind of performance And, and that's the kind of thing about what is a standout performance i was thinking you know, Bale against Inter, even if it's not a performance that is, you know, is going to get you to a final. And like Gerard against Olympiakos, at least that was a game that pushed Liverpool through. They're the kind of moments I'm thinking of. And that's yeah, as we said last week, that's not the thing that David Silver does. But no, as far as 2016 goes, I don't think so. Like, because it was Kiev, wasn't it? The first one, then PSG. I mean, Kiev was quite an easy game in the end. They played well. PSG De Bruyne ran awesome. the show
0: against PSG at home. Yeah.
1: Um, yes at home, yeah. And then obviously the, the, the two legs against Real Madrid, nobody did anything
0: really. I mean, in terms of, of when you think about City of that era though, if it if it is a mentality thing, if the, if the shirt was weighing heavy on the shoulders as you said, Sam, then, I mean, surely that there was enough kind of experience in that squad at the time anyway to to have carried it through. You think of players like 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 Vincent Kompany like David Silva like Yaya Touré who would already won the Champions League. There, there's a lot of there are there is a lot of big personalities in that squad Sam. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean back
1: at the start more in terms of the individuals when it's like oh well surely you know surely the the lack of experience is making a difference. Um well, I was thinking in terms of the individuals because of course you know David Silva had won the World Cup before before that and he you know, obviously won um won the Euros and yeah, Touré obviously won the the Champions League as well. Um, nothing seems to have fazed aguero even though he hasn't quite got those medals to reflect that um, and obviously since then even not in 2012 but you know he's been to world cup finals and and that kind of thing um but i yeah may, maybe collectively it was that kind of lack of i don't, I don't know because I, I was when you mentioned joe hart that was instinctively it made me think of that is a very old-fashioned kind of British performance in Europe, isn't it? It's kind of like, well, these lads are better than us, so we're just going to hold on. And if we can get a result and the goalkeeper's the man of the match, and we put in a heroic performance. And I think that's changed over the years. But I was about to say that generally doesn't work in Europe. And generally it doesn't, but obviously there have been exceptions and Chelsea in 2012 are one of those exceptions. But that just goes back to what Jack was saying about it being unpredictable. uh, Yeah, it is strange that you've got players like that, the ones you mentioned, big characters and you know even characters that you know they're not in that pantheon you know people like Nigel Dion you know experienced players like that again somebody else who played in the World Cup final um it was odd that they couldn't do it and you know Mancini a good tactician there's a piece on The Athletic on Tuesday about the Premier League's best tactical alterations and you know Mancini features heavily in that as you probably expect uh, so it, it was strange but uh, yeah experience as a collective as a collective and why City haven't won it early on. I think that lack of experience is a big thing. But what I mean by, I don't think the experience can be an, like a factor individually is because you would imagine Yaya Toro even if it was against CSKA Moscow for argument's sake. And I'll just remember that game because he was actually sent off once, wasn't he? But yeah. <laughs> if, you know, it doesn't need to be a big game to have a standout performance. So it is odd that individually, those players haven't been able to do it in a way that makes you think oh god yeah but obviously City have had big nights like obviously Roma away when the chips were down and, and beating Bayern Munich even though it was a bit of a farce with the, with the whole goal difference thing you know those last group games they have done well but it's, it's weird that Yeah, there hasn't been somebody like Torre taking you by the scruff of the neck.
0: And Jack, we praised Roberto Mancini on on previous podcasts for changing the mentality at City and and kind of instilling a winning mentality at the club. And yet he himself, I mean, he's not done it anywhere else in the Champions League either. So that's probably his individual failing. But he wasn't able to get over the line in the competition when he was able to, like he took on Sir Alex Ferguson and beat him.
2: Yeah, that's true. I wonder whether, I don't know. um, I think... You know, you got to go step by step, really. Like City, Mancini's job was to make City able to win trophies and compete domestically, and there was no question that the priority of the fans, the the whole club at that time was, you know, beat Manchester United, win the win the first domestic trophies, win the first league title. He did all that, and I think I I, I never felt like the Champions League was especially important under Mancini. Uh, not to the fans certainly and probably not to the overall project of the club like now it's very different and the champions league is important um but mate and you're right maybe there was just a kind of tactical and i wouldn't say failing on mancini's part because he was very good tactically i just uh, i never got the impression it was as nearly as much of priority as it's become since
0: yeah i mean uh, the, the the flip side sam we, we were talking about guardiola's exits from the champions league as well recently i mean y- you look at uh, uh Every single one of those draws that he's had, there's been some element of of misfortune in there. You look at Monaco, that I mean, that first leg, like like you've talked about the craziness in the in the games. That first leg, City played as they should have done, but the second leg, they stopped playing how 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 uh, he asked them to. Liverpool, they got blown away by the first half an hour of the game. Spurs was that 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 absolutely you know mental second leg where with the VAR decision cost them. There's been an element of. You know, each one of Guardiola's exits, there's there's almost been a perfect storm that uh, of of how of how to beat a Pep Guardiola team.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know because uh, even if cause I'm trying, I'm trying to kind of marry up the two again. The you know the team element of it, and you know City, they probably deserve to go out against Monaco over the 180 minutes. Definitely did against Liverpool, even though things should have been different, especially it would have been with VAR. Um, Spurs wasn't lucky, um, but I'm just trying to go back to the yeah the, the standout element and you, you would you would think that especially in a pep team even though it's all about the system and the players understanding the system like so many of them thrive so in the Premier League over last year you, you could remember a big Sterling performance or a big Sane performance or Aguero or De Bruyne in particular David Silva as well but yeah it, it is odd even in the Champions League there hasn't been that and I suppose the other probably the the biggest thing again because going back to what I'm saying about it, it doesn't necessarily need to be in the knockout stages to have one of these performances like the group stages have just become a non-entity haven't they whereas because obviously City now in the higher pots they get an easy draw but back at the start with Mancini you know they had much tougher draws you know Real Madrid and, and Dortmund in the same in the same group and obviously when they did manage to progress they were getting Barca um so it was always a lot harder at the start um yeah, now the group stage passes where, you know, if someone's having a standout performance, it's it's Foden or it's Gabriel Jesus with a hat-trick. You know, they're coming in to prove a point, but it's not a massive game like Bayern Munich when Aguero did stand up and, and score that fantastic hat-trick. Um, and yeah, as far as the knockouts go, again, like, even when they beat, was it Basel? Schalke was... Schalke, they are actually quite poor in that first leg, but Sane scored that ridiculous free kick, and that's probably a standout moment. Um, but it, it just goes back to these, these three in particular and why they've been so good and how they've been so good why they've not been able to replicate and I'm still I'm still kind of wrestling with it as we get there the other kind of the other element of devil's advocate which I don't believe but is interesting is maybe that's what separates them from I don't know Ronaldo and Lewandowski and Luka Modric I don't know like is is that is it luck that that gets you into that last pantheon you know do you do you need to be in the right place at the right time in the Champions League, Do you need to have luck go your way, and all of a sudden you've won the Champions League, so you're a great player. Or is it the other way around? And I've City not got there because when the chips are down, Silva, Torrey and Aguero never. Stood up in Europe. I, I don't know, but that's an interesting one. What do you reckon to
0: that? I, I just wonder sometimes when like you say when the chips are down that uh, when I think of all of City's Champions League exits, I always think and maybe this is me just being a City fan, but I always think there's an element of bad luck to it. There's a, there's always been like kind of like Jack said in 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 how the Champions League goes that there's been you know a refereeing mistake or or you know a defensive error that's mm-hmm. that's let a, a team scoring away goal or. You know, in, like like you look at Spurs last season, that that uh, just the, the bad luck of the ricochet fall into Aguero when he's half a yard offside, that that sort of thing. And so I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a case of players not standing up and being counted because I I, I kind of feel like in that Spurs game, for instance, the players did stand up and be counted. They just yeah. got unlucky at the end.
2: What I would say is that I think I think that Pep Guardiola's teams suffer from the fact that. Because their whole game is based around control, like perfect total control of everything that's going on, and you know dominating the ball, playing the, playing exactly how they want to play, and that's how you get 100 100 points, 98 points in the Premier League. He's, that's how he's got ridiculous points. So does Bayern. But the problem is that in the Champions League, you're coming up against these in these incredibly high-pressure games against teams which are basically as good as you. Which of course you know naturally doesn't happen that that much, and then something goes wrong and the players because their whole their whole mindset is based on we've got the game plan we you know we know we know exact. we have totally internalized how this is meant to go if we follow the plans to the letter we will win and then something goes wrong and the players lose their minds and this has happened time and time again it happened in the liverpool game when city went 1-0 down at anfield then suddenly they were 3-0 down it happened at the Etihad a year ago when uh, Laporte made that mistake and suddenly Tottenham had scored two goals. It happened with Barca when they lost... Sorry, it happened with Pep's Bayern when they went to New Camp and then conceded three goals in the last 10 minutes. It happened when they got shelled by Real Madrid. semi Semifinals, second leg, 2014, and they ended up conceding four goals. Like, when something goes wrong in a Pep Guardiola team in a massive game, the players kind of lose their minds a bit because they're, like, they're not used to things going wrong. Like it's like a glitch in the matrix for them. And I think this is like quite a structural issue as to um, connected to how Guardiola coaches the teams. And I, I think that maybe there, you know, a different manager might say when his team concedes one goal, it might be better to, you know, slow the game down, drop back 10 yards, everybody just get your heads together, relax, and then we'll go again in 10 minutes time. But because of how like, kind of highly strung and perfectionist City are I think that 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 perfectionism breeds a kind of fragility and a brittleness which has been exposed in these games if I was to look at any like connecting reason as to why City have underperformed it would that was not just to do with like luck or experience or anything I'd say it was probably that
0: just on a, kind of a final point then on, on this season's Champions League, because it, it was it was almost feeling like City had, had nearly cracked it this year until um until football was suspended. If if it's finished and it is in, in, in a kind of a truncated manner and and you know, it, it might be one legged ties as they've been talking about, it might be played over a weekend, something like that. Um, will it always be held against City if they were to win it this year that they didn't win a proper Champions League?
1: Well, given everything else that's going on, there's There's probably a few other things people would use to hold it against City as well, to be honest. Um, And that would be another, God, that would be another element of the whole FFP debate. If if they were to win it this year, (laughs) UEFA might decide they want to take it off them. Um, I I don't know. I suppose it depends how it is played. Um, You know, behind closed doors games, just not just going to be weird. Not going to be the same. And I think, I think you know, a lot of people are looking forward to the Premier League coming back, and everyone knows. It's going to be very difficult to do that in June, and it might not even be the best idea. And a lot of people are against it. But I think a lot of people are looking forward to coming back. But playing it behind closed doors, you get the first weekend out of the way. You might get the first couple of games out of the way. But then w- when all the places are decided and nobody's at the stadium, and you've got to play every three days, and you know Burnley have got a small squad and they're they've got to play Wolves, and neither team you know are going to do anything. Just, they just play just play some kids it might put people off a bit and then you've got the champions league starting which is normally great you know that um Dortmund PSG game I remember watching it was just it just seemed really flat now I remember Atalanta and Valencia was not flat at all that was behind closed doors and that was a great game so it it's not always a killer but I think it, it would it would be different um that would probably be the biggest thing you take away from it because if somebody wins it and it's a flat competition that you know people just aren't as enthused by as i mentioned earlier on the the best times in the champions league or the best time in the football season is generally the champions league semi-finals they're just so much fun they're so unpredictable um but if you lose that there there might be well i was going to say there might be an asterisk next to it whoever wins but football being what it is these days and social media there's going to be an asterisk next to any victory that anybody does but yeah there, there might be a bit of that but if as long as the games if they are still over two legs uh, there's still there's still enough merit in it but it, it will be different it depends it depends how they do it if they do it over one leg in neutral venues then that is not i would say even though the champions league has had so many different formats even in the last few years that wouldn't be winning the champions league as i know it i don't think if you were to play a one-off semi-final in a neutral venue that would be a bit weird
0: Now, this Sunday, The Athletic will be hosting a Premier League awards night. Our writers and podcast hosts have voted across a number of categories. From 7pm on Sunday, we'll be announcing the winners. But before then, make sure you listen to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast every day this week, where we will be announcing the shortlist for each category. We're starting on Tuesday with the Young Player of the Year, and that's followed on Wednesday by Underrated Player, and on Thursday with our Team of the Year. Then on Friday, you can hear the shortlist for the main award, Premier League Player of the Season. So that's a new show every day this week on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. And to find out the winners on Sunday night, make sure you subscribe and download the Athletic app. You can get a subscription to The Athletic right now for free. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City pod to take advantage of our 90-day free trial. We thought, as a result, we'd do our own awards for this City team as well. So uh, let's start with Young Player of the Year. Sam, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with you because, um, I, I, to me, City's Young Player of the Year, there's only one option, is there?
1: Well, instinctively, you you would say, and I would say, Foden. You, know, you think young player, you think best young player, you think Phil Foden. Um, and I did I did pick Foden. But um, the parameters are actually under 23 players, so that includes all players who were 23 at the start of the season. So that includes Rodri and Gabriel Jesus. And you'd have, probably have to say that both of those, even though they haven't had great seasons, they probably contributed more to the first team than Foden. You know, there's more of there's more de- demand on them. Um, there's more pressure on them. And fine, maybe that comes from being four years older than Foden. But it... There could be an argument for one of those two, just in terms of what they're expected to do and what they have done. Um, you know, Gabriel Jesus has got something like 18 goals. Um, so you could say they've made more of a contribution to whatever city you've done. Um, and then the, the other side of it is, if you're looking at it like pound for pound, Eric Garcia, whenever he's played, and given, you know, basically every other centre-back this season has been awful. And Eric Garcia, whenever he's played, he's been fantastic. So pound for pound, he's probably been the best young player this season in terms of average performance level. But he's only started four games, I think it is. Um, so you couldn't really pick him. So in eventually I did come back around to Foden because it's one of those where even, you know, he's not played well in every game he's played. In some games, you know, he hasn't really done a lot or he's just kind of, you know, he's he's got a buy. he hasn't stood out. But there have been games when he's really shown people, yeah, this this kid is, is something... Um, something special really and something that we we should be getting excited about and he's he's justifying the hype that follows him around and I think in particular um, that Aston Villa Carabao Cup final just before this break he was kind of really taking off then but I suppose for every high you've got a low because he played against United um, just before the break and again didn't do a lot but yeah in the end I went for Foden and I just think that it, it couldn't be anyone else whether it's hype whether it's his own performances whether it's whatever I think he has probably been City's best player this year, just about.
0: Jack, does your does your vote go for Foden as well?
2: I think it has to, yeah. There's not really... I mean, I know you could maybe give it to a slightly older player, but I think that's really against the spirit of a Young Player of the Year award. Um, yeah, Foden has... I know people always say that they want him to play more, but he's still playing a fair bit, given how young he is, and he has been really good. Like, There have been quite a few very, very good performances. I can't remember just two that stand out to me that i've seen in the flesh uh oxford away in the efl cup in december i thought he was fantastic in difficult conditions uh, he ran the game again I mean, don't laugh but Port Vale fa cup third round at home he ran the game scored was best player on the pitch by a mile that was in early january he's played you know played a handful of premier league and champions league games pretty well he's not really looked Out of place, like you know, we all know he's got that amazing technical ability, the ability to turn and move with the ball, as well as being incredibly energetic off the ball as well. So yeah, I think it has to be Foden.
1: Yeah, there was an Atalanta game as well where he created four clear-cut chances in the same game, which is which nobody. Weirdly, Di Maria did it on the same night for PSG, but nobody had done that in five years. Um, Was that the night he got sent off as well? he got sent off in a Champions League. He did get home sent game. Off in a League game yeah, honestly, Atlanta at all... home. Okay, yeah, it was then. Oh, were, as I said earlier, they're a bit of a non-event, aren't they? The Champions League group games and the home games this year, especially. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Pep was very happy about that, was he? Afterwards, but it
0: was. they were two. There were two daft yellow cards, but uh, I thought they were. I thought they were a bit harsh. I'm not going to lie. Um, let's have a suggestion for underrated player of the year as well, because um, I, it's quite hard on City squad given given the attention that many of them get. Um, Jack, have you got any ideas for this?
2: Well, I mean, I might be stealing your idea because I saw it in the notes you sent around beforehand, but Mares, I think, has been good. Uh, I know he's got, you know, had a fair bit of stick during his time at City. I think that goal he scored at Brighton to seal the title back in May would have, you know, it's done a huge amount for his confidence because he's looked better this year. Like, he's looked he's looked more at home. Like, last year, he looked like a player from a different team who'd been, like, transplanted into City and it didn't, didn't really work, whereas now he kind of looks up to speed. It's, um I think he's probably the, the like the standout surprise player for me. I mean, amongst not many, not many actual surprises.
0: Yeah, Sam, are you, have you got any other ideas to throw into the mix?
1: Well, I think Fernandinho has been all right as a centre back. Like, yeah, and yeah, Considering everything he's had to put up with, you know, the there's more um, there are more demands on that defence than ever. You know, whether that stems from the front line not pressing enough or Rodri not being as good as Fernandinho in that defensive midfield role. Uh, or a combination of the two, or anything else, that defence is under more scrutiny than ever. And I think Fernandinho going back there at 48 years of age, or whatever he is, I think he's <laughs> actually been really good. And yeah, he's been exposed a few times. Um, but, you know, in, in in a lot of times, it's just pace. But if if he gets outpaced by somebody and the ball gets played in behind him, that's not his fault. Somebody else has not done their job anywhere else. Um, So he probably deserves a mention in that sense in terms of being underrated because I think some people have been critical of him. But other than that, I really don't think so because I wouldn't say any of the other centre-backs. Kyle Walker had a Kyle Walker season and that sounds a bit disparaging. But but by that, I probably mean a 7 out of 10 season. You probably know what you're going to get from him. You'll get get occasional 9
0: or 10s out of ten
1: but overall probably a 7. All the left backs have been bad. Edison's not had a great season. Fort the only three... the only
0: other name I thought maybe throwing in there because obviously you know people people fret when Sergio Aguero's not on the pitch but I thought when when Gabriel Jesus has been been relied upon more or less he's been all right.
1: He's really up and down. Like again if you were to take an average I don't I don't even know what it would be but it wouldn't be it's not it's not an average of like solid contributions it's like Kyle Walker, basically, I think Kyle Walker is going to give you a solid contribution, pretty much always. But Jesus can have a terrible game, and then he can have a really good game, and he can have a terrible game and a really good game, and he's still kind of battling with that. I, I kind of wrote an article with his, um, you know, personal trainer, performance coach, recently, and he was explaining that. And you know, a good example was that they actually used was that West Ham game. And I looked to get back at it again yesterday for the De Bruyne article that I wrote. Um, and he had just ridiculous chances that he missed. And again, I looked at you know, De Bruyne setting him up for a great chance at the end of the Newcastle game, which I'd forgotten about. After De Bruyne scored that great goal at Newcastle and then Newcastle equalised, De Bruyne played a great ball over the top in the 95th minute for Jesus and he just didn't really catch it. And you just think those are the moments. So Jesus is improving. He's working really hard and he's getting there. But I don't know how I'd classify his season. Like I said earlier, he's got 18 goals. There's a bit of a case to be made. But if I'm being picky... I'd want those 18 goals to be spread out a bit more. I'd want those 18 goals to be that one against Newcastle included. You'd want him to score in the Derby. I think he missed a good chance in the Derby at the start of December as well. I'd rather he did that rather than go and score two at Burnley and three against Donomo Zagreb. And I think that's where he needs to improve, basically.
0: Yeah. Um. to the big one now, Jack. Uh, City's Player of the Year. The, again, there can only really be one option, can't there?
2: Yeah, I think it has to be Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, he's been... I feel bad for him in the sense that the rest of the team slightly taking the year off a bit, whereas De Bruyne has been just as good as he was as he has, has been in the past. And of course, you know, he had all that time out with knee injuries in the past. I bet he's probably desperate to be, you know, part of a winning team, a successful team. And he's still put in some incredible individual performances. I mean, off the top of my head, uh, Arsenal away just before Christmas, where he scored that beautiful first assist for Sterling, and then a, a second with his left foot. That was fantastic. There was the goal against Chelsea. There was the League Cup semi-final game at Old Trafford where City were phenomenally good. And De Bruyne was playing as a kind of false striker with Bernardo Silva. He was amazing. Real Madrid away, you know, but not very long ago, although it feels years ago. It was only about seven weeks ago, I think. uh, He was fantastic that night as well. So I think, yeah, in terms of like, in terms of like, maintaining the high quality of City's performances through a difficult season I think it has to be De Bruyne
0: Sam there's a case that he's been the best player in the Premier League as well this season
1: yeah there is um but he probably was a couple of years look this is kind of an argument that I know a lot of City fans make I think Bernardo Silva alluded to it recently that you know for whatever reason City players don't get the the player of the year award even when they win the league. you know, I would have voted for him in 2018 when City got 100 points, um, and I know it's it's kind of over time. City fans have convinced themselves more and more that he should have won it, and he he was definitely in with a shout. But Salah really was fantastic. I know, like I know, City did win the league and they were so good, but like even though Liverpool was so far back, it was so ridiculous what Salah was doing at the time in terms of the goals he was scoring it you know, there definitely was a case for him as well. It wasn't like that weird one when Scott Parker got it out of like, nostalgia. Um, but yeah, this season you you should apply the same logic. And you should say even if the team who's in second or third place is really far behind the leaders, if they've had a standout performer who's amazing, they should win it. But I'm sure a Liverpool player will get it. And that's just the weird way that things work. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely an argument for that. And the fact that, you know, what I was saying earlier about City, the, the best thing about City and where their success has come from um, is, is how everybody understands the system. They're all so good in their own right. They're all so intelligent and so technically gifted. It takes them onto a new level. But the system just hasn't worked this year for so many reasons we've probably discussed already and I'll probably go into in the next few weeks as we fill the gap without football. Um, but they've not been that this season. You know, As I was going through then, the, the underrated players, there's not really been any underrated players because you go through the whole team and you probably say the vast majority of them have been disappointed. But you put De Bruyne in it and he's papering over cracks left, right and centre. And I know you're not, you're not going to get the credit for that because people go, well, he's still playing for Man City. He's still playing with Aguero and Sterling and Bernardo Silva and whatever. So you can't say, oh, well, he's carrying the team because they're still really good. But this team hasn't been working. And, you know, when he didn't start at Norwich, he was injured against Wolves and City lost. When he plays, he just creates the threat by himself. You know, the assists he's got 16 in the Premier League alone already with nine games to go. You know, and I don't know. Probably ten of those have just left the striker to tap it into an empty net. You know, he he really is you know, kind of dragging everyone up to his level. And yeah, um, Jack ran through his his best performances there. Um, I've just ran through the numbers and kind of the context of the season. But the other thing I put in the article was there's just there's just so much to enjoy about watching De Bruyne. You now that goes back to the the fact that you could think he's the best player in in the league. Because he just, he just does stuff that makes you go, oh, that's, that's so good. It's that extra bit of magic, which in my opinion separates Messi from Ronaldo. And I think a lot of people think the same way. I think Ronaldo's great. I've got a hell of a lot of respect for him. But it's just watching Messi, it's just different, isn't it? It's just, there's just something, there's a magical aura around him. And you think no other players can do that. And De Bruyne does it in a different way. And obviously he's not achieved what Messi has. But there's things De Bruyne does and it doesn't even have to be an assist. You just go, that is that's just class and there's a there's a few examples only a few just from looking back at the last handful of games before the break Of just beautiful moments in games just you know cross field passes or like clip through balls with the outside of his foot that are just just magic and you add that to the fact that he is performing so I think he's got 16 goals sorry 16 assists and eight goals so that's 24 goals he's directly combined to that's more than anybody else has contributed in the league you know when you're combining goals and assists and if you if you look at some of the passes he's made to teammates who have missed, I think I've mentioned two on this podcast already that Jesus missed. There was another one in that West Ham game. I think Sterling missed a really bad one that he laid on for him. So if, if the others were performing at their usual levels, he'd probably have broken Theron Thierry assist record before the season and it had even been curtailed. So, yeah, he, he's been... I don't know, I kind of think this is the best De Bruyne we're seeing at the moment, and it's a shame for him and for City that the rest of the players have kind of gone the other way.
0: Now, uh, before we get into this next topic, because we're going to talk about uh, one of City's other star players, um, I'd just like to ask you both a very quick question. Um, Jack, I'm going to start with you, because you, you were able to sum up the uh, the David Silva role so well last week. Um, can you describe for me a typical Sergio Aguero goal? Uh,
2: okay, so... I am going to do this
0: for an article. Go on. <laughs> we
2: can he, do it together. Basically, it's to do with He's kind of in the box, I think, and he gets the ball in low, usually from a cutback or maybe from like a kind of darted pass into the box. And he takes one perfect touch to steady himself. And then with not that much back lift, he hammers it high into the near post and the keeper can't get there. So, I mean, like QPR is obviously the most famous goal, but it's actually fairly consistent with a lot of Sergio goals. Maybe, maybe he has like, he does a little bit more work in the box with it before he shoots but generally most uh old trafford away 2013 again he kind of takes probably two touches there before the shot and he's kind of off balance as he hits the shot but yeah generally i'd say uh one or two touches inside the box near high into the near post basically some what 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 what's your kind of conclusion from it
1: yeah um it's it
0: is a goal of the near post yeah
1: it, obviously i think instinctively you just think of the qpr goal itself but he just he does do that a lot and jpv summed it up there that that little touch to steady himself when i did the big article on aguero for becoming the top overseas scorer i spoke to lescott and he mentioned how he's you know he's kind of he's, he's been there and he's done it and he just knows to steady it, it he just knows how to steady himself and it, he just does it so often and still the defenders fall for it because I suppose you've got to try and block it because if he does hit it first time and you don't do anything then he's going to score anyway but you commit and then he's got you and then he can put it where he wants but yeah, I, I do think it's that finish at the near post I think Lescott said I'm sure it was Lescott maybe it was somebody else it just surprises the goalkeeper, I think. You know, Goalkeepers aren't supposed to get beat there, but he does it all the time. I think he does it better than anybody else. So I think the classic Aguero goal, yeah, is at it, is it the near post. Obviously, there was that thread on Twitter about it that you may have seen this week, um, detailing all those types of finishes. But there was a lot in there that go high into the roof of the net. And one of the ones that Lescott gave me as an example was that one at Old Trafford when I think it was 3-1 at the end of the season, 3-0 maybe, can't remember now 2013 where he beat Phil Jones that's it yeah yeah, yeah. I was I was confusing the the score line with the the Moyes one a year later when that was just a route but yeah that goal exactly where he got it right on the left side of the box danced across to the right and put it in the top corner I'm thinking even more specific I'm just thinking that specific QPR goal near post but lower because he does I mean he does it all the time Um, and I'm sure there's gonna be about 15 examples and yeah the longer this this goes on without football the more I'm gonna start Drilling down into it and going, let's have a look <laughs> at all of Aguero's near post goals. But I feel like now it sounds like I'm copying that Twitter thread. Well, it and- was
0: that Twitter thread that, that that set me off. It was posted by, uh, at City's era, uh, a guy called Ben. And he, he makes the argument that Aguero was the best finisher of all time at the near post. And he's kind of got a point, Jack.
2: Yeah, oh, another one that I want to mention is Tottenham Champions League Champions League quarterfinal second leg at the Etihad last April that amazing goal where he just hammers it into the near post uh, that would have been in the second, the goal, which briefly put City, had City going through early in the second half. Um, do you know which one I mean? Yeah. That yeah, was, incredible.
0: It, was it, it came just before Lorente uh, handled it into the net. Um, yeah. It came on yeah. about
2: 50, 50, 55 minutes back when City yeah. were all over Spurs. Um, the, the, the power there was ridiculous. And I remember everyone in the, I remember sitting in the press box and, the ball went in, and we were like, Well, I know he, and I remember thinking, I know he does that a lot, and he's done that hundreds of times for City, but when he does it with that much power from that narrow angle, I'm still like, Jesus Christ, like, I can't believe he's done that. And even Hugo Lloris, who's, you know, a fantastic goalkeeper and has faced Aguero consistently over the last seven years, seven or eight years, was thinking, God, like, how, what on earth are you meant to do with that? But yeah, the best near post finish, I don't know, like, the player that he always gets compared to when he's coming through as a kid is Romario. In terms of that like stocky power and that like absolute ruthlessness and going straight for goal, I actually can't remember. I mean, Romario was slightly before my time as a fan, but I would love to see some romario You know, if somebody put together a Romario compilation, it'd be interesting to see the kind of comparisons between the two.
0: The one I always think of, Sam, is that that Liverpool game uh, where City had to win uh, last season, and mm. I, I, the ball came into the box at the near post, and I thought, how on earth has he beaten yeah. Allison from there?
1: It's an amazing goal. Um, it's an amazing goal, that. Because I looked at it again recently, and he was down on the ground. I think the ball went out wide, and I, I think he had a bit of a tussle, probably with Lovren, because it was Lovren who he beat. And it was weak. He, he was kind of half complaining for a penalty, but he was sat on his bum in the six-yard box. And the ball went out wide, and he got up and kind of got back in line to make sure he was onside. And then all of a sudden, the ball's come back in, and he, it was like he just vaporised into thin air. And then reappeared on the other side of Lovren and just battered the ball into the top corner from a, a ridiculous angle. It was just it was just the way he got away from Lovren. And we did I remember we did a um, another podcast directly after that game. And I remember saying, yeah, what? Well, fortunately for for City, it was Lovren because I really don't rate him whatsoever. But I I, I just think Aguero in that mood, I, it could have been Van Dijk. I really do think that because he just the craft he showed to get to get into that position. We talked about the finishing already we know he can do it but just to get there that that just shows those instincts he's got so well and Wayne Rooney did an article at the weekend about the art of goal scoring and he he was talking about the things you've got you got to know as a, as a number nine it's just people say it's it's luck you know being in the right place at the right time but you know you, you do need an instinct for it you do need to work at it and he, he used Aguero as you know the um the modern example and yeah that goal is it's a great example and anyone listen I'm sure they remember it but if if you go and watch it again if you seek it out and just look for, look for that movement to, to get from one side
2: of Lovren to the other in a blink of an eye that was more impressive than the finish for me and also on his left foot as well the finish yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just sorry I've just i just found the clip on the internet and it's just great. watched it back again now it's amazing the way that he kind of the touch past Lovren and then the spin to get his body in line and then just to smash it with his with his weaker foot, right over over the keeper's shoulder. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh,
0: Sam mentioned um, some other Premier League greats there, uh, specifically Wayne Rooney. I mean, when you look Jack, at, at the likes of Wayne Rooney, Alan Shearer, Thierry Henry, where does where does Aguero sit? And we're I mean, not not just talking in terms of, of goal scoring numbers, but actual kind of contributions to the team and performances like like that 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 class that that those players exist in.
2: I think he's been more consistent than he's probably been more consistent than Henri in terms of maintaining basically the same level. I mean look, we'd have to compare the numbers. I actually don't have the I haven't checked Henri's numbers, but you know, he's won more one more Premier League titles than Thierry Henri. He has so let's just bring up sorry, this is gonna make quite boring listening. As I bring these as I bring this information up. Yeah, Henri's numbers were actually very consistent. He had what? One, two, three, four. He had five consecutive seasons of twenty-four plus Premier League goals. But I'd say he's like I'd say Aguero's record is as good as Henri. Um obviously Rooney's slightly different because he's had a, he had a longer career in the Premier League, playing, you know, at different teams in slightly different roles. Uh probably didn't have the same like top level goal scoring peak as Aguero and Henri. I think I think where Aguero I think where Aguero falls down compared to Henri Shearer Rooney. He doesn't really have like he, you know, he doesn't pl- he hasn't played for one of the most popular teams in the country like which I think makes a difference to how these things are considered. I also think he doesn't have much of a kind of. I don't know how influential he's been. Like he's not really. If you look at Henri, you know what I mean. Like he's Henri had this kind of charisma and he. He defined that kind of very charismatic, stylish Arsenal team. And while Aguero has been incredible, and City's four Premier League titles that that they've won would have been impossible without Aguero, I don't think he's got that same kind of influence, charisma, if you know what I mean. I think he's just yeah. fantastically efficient at what he does. So, in that sense, he might be more like, say, like a Rudolf Nesteroy. Who you know obviously he's had a much better career than Van Nistelrooy in the Premier League because he's done it he's done it for a longer time he scored more goals than Van Nistelrooy he has been you know because Van Nistelrooy's peak was actually quite didn't really last that long in English football um, but I I feel like he's not he hasn't really got that same like Cantona Henri Bergkamp Rooney style, like, cultural power, I guess. Yeah, that's
1: exactly it. That's exactly it. And I, I've, I've had this conversation before with people who work with Aguero a couple of years ago when they were like, why do you not think he gets the recognition? If you're, in any just a goal scorer, you need to score a hell of a lot of goals. And he has now. Um, so now he's in this conversation. But a couple of years ago, it's kind of like, if you were just scoring goals, well, fine, you know, you, there's a lot of centre-forward town history who have scored a lot of goals. But the difference with like, Henri and Rooney is... They've got that bit of magic that I was talking about. You know, I'm talking about with Messi and, and De Bruyne. They've got that ability to beat a player. Obviously, Aguero, there has been a time when Aguero kind of carried City for a while. It was actually around that time when he scored the hat-trick against Bayern Munich, if I remember rightly. It, because it was around that time he's got a couple at QPR when City weren't playing very well at all. Um, but there's just, yeah, there's that extra little bit of magic that Henri and Rooney have got. And maybe that's because of the, the press coverage that comes with it. Maybe that's because they played for, you know, these these clubs that, probably, you know, liked a bit better than City nationally. Um, yeah, but I just think that if, if you're just going to be a goal scorer, you need to score a hell of a lot of goals to get in that list. And now he has, and that's the reason Shearer gets talked about, because Shearer's goal-scoring record is just phenomenally, and nobody's ever going to beat that in the Premier League, I don't think. So he's up there because he scored 260, I think it is. Aguero's up there now because he's the top scorer overseas, but you need to be an amazing goal scorer if you're going to get into that bracket of Henri and Rooney, because they had that ability to score. You know, also you know, incredible goals as well. You know, a scorer of great goals, that's what they were, but they could also score a lot of them. And I think that's probably the difference. Obviously, Aguero has scored some good goals outside the box, but generally, you know, he's, he's the penalty box master, isn't he? He's the, he's the arch number nine. I think there's a bit of a tendency for people... To, to take that for granted a bit. Obviously, it's very difficult. And we've talked about how difficult it is. But I think some people can see them as just a goal scorer.
0: I'm going to finish with some uh, questions from you guys on Twitter. um uh, MCRABC... Uh, MCR ABC starts us off. Uh, would be interested to know if the guys have any insight on City's set-piece training. Pep's so innovative tactically, but our throw-ins and corners seem to lack imagination. Stretching the play from goal kicks was great, but even that seems to have dropped off a bit. Sam, have you, uh, have, you have you got any uh, anything you can help us with here?
1: Um, well, I know... I, I mean, maybe this is part of what he was saying about the goal kicks, but whether they've been found out or not. I mean, I doubt they've been found out because it was only this season... That you can start playing out from your own box from a goal kick. So there's, there's probably still differences they can do there. Um, but the, the throw-ins thing is interesting because they've always had plans for that. And I think one of the examples of what Jack was saying earlier about how Guardiola's team's all about control is I think Javi once said, you know, he he even prepares for the opposition's throw-ins, and you know the opposition are looking to go. Well, we can't throw it anyway. You know, you, you've even worked that out. Um, as for the, the throw-ins that City take themselves. I think it's just. I think they use them to get the ball back at the player's feet as quickly as possible. I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily anything clever there. Maybe they just think, well, we we need to circulate the game here, and if we've got the, you know, if Mendy's taking the throw in just in front of where Pep sits, he's he's, he's going to give it to the nearest defender. They're going to pass it to the other side, and that's what they're going to do. So I'd imagine maybe it's maybe it's a bit unimaginative, but I think that's just how they use throw-ins basically, just to just start circulating the ball to the other side of the pitch as soon as possible. Corners, I mean, look when Laporte scored from that corner at Brighton in the in the game that Jack mentioned earlier, that seemed like the first time in about five years that City had scored a goal from a corner. Um, obviously, they've got problems with defending them as well. I, I I don't know, maybe they could be more imaginative to make up for the lack of height they've got, but generally, they, they scored one against Villa, didn't they, in the Carabao Cup final and that was Rodri and the joke is, now that all cities set piece tactics are basically Rodri near post. Whether he's heading them away when they're defending them <laughs> the near post, or he's trying to flick one in, because I think he flicked one on against Sheffield United as well that landed on the roof of the net or just over. And that's basically all they've got. Maybe that's just because they're a short team. I don't know. Obviously, one of the areas that Arteta struggled in. After that first season, when he obviously did really well stepping up to replace Torrent, was the work on set pieces, and then they got in the new guy to help out. And obviously Arteta's left, so yeah, maybe they've struggled there. Um, I don't know, you know, if if I could suggest what they could do at set pieces, then I'd probably apply to help out that new guy now. Arteta. <laughs> I, d- I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they could do. Um, I almost think their corners are so bad they should use them as I say they've been using throw-ins and just take them short and try and break down the teams again they've had so many problems breaking down teams this season there's almost no point
0: I I always think Jack that corners are this big misnomer in football where actually they're not as dangerous as people seem to think they are
2: no maybe not it'd be interesting to see if City did do what what Sam suggests because it is you know Laporte aside God I kind of struggled to come up with any good any good I can't really think of many other examples off the top of my head of City
1: yeah you almost want to lure the defense out to the edge of the box so they're pushing up just in that little trick
2: they do yeah just as soon as if you put
1: the ball back to De Bruyne and they step up you then run in behind and he puts it in That's, that's almost what they need to be working for but I mean I'm sure it can't be as easy as that otherwise they would have done it but yeah it just seems like they need to get the ball into those areas they're more dangerous on the corner of the boxes than in the actual corner
0: Well, uh, Paramal on Twitter also asks, uh, why does Pep or City usually sign diminutive forwards and midfielders? Won't a player like Dzeko help in scoring those aimless crosses against teams like Crystal Palace? Jack, it, it kind of follows on from that point.
2: Yeah, it does. And it kind of follows on from our discussion about Dzeko the other day and how City, you know, whether Guardiola might have been able to use him. I just think it's a function of how they want to play. Like, obviously, you know, we all know that Guardiola's style of play is very much based on technical control, possession, dominating the ball. And hard you know, work and mobility, and yeah. hard work and mobility and pressing, and that you know that requires you to play in a certain way, and that's why they make maybe wouldn't have wanted a Jacko. That would be interesting to think who who they could have gone for. I suppose they've never really gone for Harry Kane, who is a uh, you know at his peak would have was fantastic at pressing, but now maybe doesn't have might. quite the one of quite the same legs as before. Yeah, I wonder if they might. But um, yeah, like obviously, if you have such a clear template about how you want to play, that is naturally going to form the sort of players that you look to sign.
0: And uh, Paul Blacklock on Twitter finishes off with, uh, assuming City lose their Cass appeal, which City players will leave? Uh, Sam, you, you've you've written about this recently.
1: Uh, I've, I mean, I've written about the Cass appeal and some of the ins and outs. I, I don't know who's going to leave. Um, yeah, I think this is actually one of my answers in the mailbag that might not have made the first cut. Um, and uh, It's a weird one. Uh, I know Sterling's agent actually came out publicly and said Sterling's going to stay, which is not, not something that happens very often. But, um, you know, I think he's got some desire to play for Real Madrid one day and who knows what's going to happen in the transfer market now. But, you know, if City were to find themselves in a situation where they were significantly weakened by being out of the Champions League for, for two years, then, you know, Sterling's got a good contract. But maybe if it's a couple of years down the line, then the stars would align for him and he gets an offer and maybe he would go. But I'm just speculating. Um I know of another player, probably, it's probably not fair to, to name him because it can easily get twisted. It's fine for you know, players to have their desires and want to go and play for certain teams in certain countries, but there's definitely another player who would like to play for Real Madrid or at least Barcelona in a few years, and I think that's act- actively part of their career plan. Um, so again, maybe you know if City were ever forced into a sale... Maybe the opportunity would arise. The agents could do a bit of work or whatever for for, for somebody else um, to go as well. But you know, the, by the same token, I've heard that De Bruyne had, had told the club pretty pretty close to the band that you know he he would stay. Um, I don't. I think there's been a bit of speculation about even even Bernardo Silva. Um, he might look to go, but that's that's all you can do really, because I'm sure the players. I mean, look, everyone's even more uncertain now. But when the band came around, it was kind of. Everyone was shell-shocked, I think, around the club. But it was almost kind of, well, the season's still going on. Still got big games to play. The club say they're going to sort it out. There's almost no point in thinking about it. But obviously, it's the agent's job to think about it and make sure there would be options lined up. But I'm sure the players themselves wouldn't have given too much thought because there's still so much to be decided. And the message from the club the whole time is they will get it overturned. So a lot of them might just be thinking, well, there might be nothing to worry about anyway.
0: Jack as a as a fan would you worry about about losing potential star players?
2: Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose City, you know, over the last 10 years City have been in a position of complete power in the transfer market. Like they've never lost they've never lost anyone they didn't want to lose. And if, you know, if the Cass ban is up if CAS upholds the Champions League ban and City aren't going to be playing in the Champions League and players want to leave then I guess for the first time really they'd have players agitating for a way out and it's not really a position they've been in before even Raheem Sterling's flirting with Real Madrid is not a position that City have been in before um, so I, you know you can certainly imagine that it would affect them on the pitch
0: right so uh, well it's one of those that I think we'll uh, we'll have to come back to in uh, in future shows uh, that's it for it's this week go away, is it? it's not it no it's not at all um, that's it for this week's why always us you've been listening to Sam Lee
1: yeah thanks very much
0: and Jack Pitbrook my pleasure And me, David Mooney. If you'd like to get some ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 90-day free trial now by using the code MANCITYPOD.